Hi, my name is Ariana. I'm a sophomore. Hi, my name is Sam, and I'm a junior. I'm playing the part of Elsa in this year's production of The Sound of Music. And I'm playing Captain Von Trapp. Come see us at the South Milwaukee Performing Arts Center. March 17th through the 19th. Tickets are at southmilwaukeepac.org. And you're listening to the SM Way Podcast. Thanks for that introduction, Ariana and Sam. Welcome to the SMA Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Bader, Communication Coordinator for the School District of South Milwaukee. We're celebrating Music in Our Schools Month today, and we're going to hear about music education in South Milwaukee. But before we get started, take a listen to this bit of music from Mrs. Katie Frenecki's rehearsal with Blakewood Kindergartners for their March concert. How great was that? You know, one of the few memories I have of kindergarten is singing songs in music class as a boy in Broomfield, Colorado. In fact, I have one memory of singing music in kindergarten, and that's because I sang so loud and proud that I lost my voice. Luckily, music music was at the end of the day, and my mom gave me a popsicle that soothed my throat and brought my voice back again. Happened to be the closest to Potsdam's Crane School of Music. That school, whose alumni include world-famous soprano Renee Fleming, also churns out hundreds of seriously talented music teachers. My dorm was full of music and bleary-eyed students who would return late from their practice rooms. One week they'd have a banjo, the next trumpets. Students at Crane had to be proficient in any instrument their students might need. How I was signed to that dorm room, I'll never know. I studied history and politics and published the student newspaper but it certainly gave me an appreciation of the work those future teachers did. I say all this to share that music teachers are exceptionally hardworking, talented, and energetic people in schools that are full of dedicated and hardworking teachers. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to introduce just two of South Milwaukee's own seriously talented music teachers to explain how we teach music and the varied and valuable benefits of a good education in music. First is Amanda Tinson, who works with students at Lakeview and Luther. So, uh, Mandy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, tell me about your work. How how often do you see kids? And what, uh, yeah, how does it work at, at your level? Uh, so, at the elementary level, we work on a rotational schedule that's not unlike a middle school A-B day sort of schedule. So, at the elementary level, we have a four-day rotational Uh, schedule days one two three and four and that means depending on where we are in the rotation we see kids two to three times a week in each specialist area so um, it basically works out to be every other day that they come to music Um, and that was actually a change made in the district not very long ago we were on a traditional five day a week schedule where kids would come like on monday and wednesday but we had space in our schedule to see kids more often, and there's so much research that shows 
the more kids can have gym and art and music, the better off they are. Mm. So we um, switched to this schedule and now kids get to come more often. Okay. Uh, well, and that kind of leads to what, what do they learn? Yeah. Um, so the elementary level, it's a huge spectrum of learning because they come in kindergarten with essentially no skills, much like an emerging reader. Um, and by the time they leave in fifth grade, they're ready to join a performing ensemble, like a band or an orchestra. Um, so we start in kindergarten right at the basics, just keeping a steady beat um, and learning to move our voices up and down. Hmm. Um, so the kids don't necessarily match pitch perfectly when they're five and six, but um, if they can move it up and down, then we're in the right direction. Um, and then here we are right now, we're preparing our concert and we have fifth graders who are singing in two parts with instruments going and movement at the same time. So huge range of growth. Yeah, I, I guess I never thought about that, that how much like physical education is learning just how your body works and, and how to play certain games, you know, and to use those different skills. And that music would do the same thing with your voice and also your physical physicality yeah. too. Right. Um, you know, when we talk about like steady beat with kindergarten, we start with our body. Can we clap our hands? Can we march our feet? Can we tap our shoulders? And then it's actually a leap for a kindergartner to transfer that skill with their body to an instrument. So can now, we now keep a steady beat on a drum or a bell mm. and then, you know, grow from there where we're playing rhythms instead of just the beat. Sure. So it's a huge spiral of curriculum. And I, I guess it's a little bit of a different part of your brain. So it's a break kind of from what you're doing in the classroom. Yeah. But then it's also work. work yeah. Sure. I, I think... You know, you can tie music to almost any discipline. There's a space where music is impactful in math and in reading and in social studies and in science. And so um, it's a way for kids to use all of those brain components in a creative way that, you know, I think lots of kids find joy in mm. in their day. Sure. Yeah. And we uh, I went to a, you know, a training session where it was all just about delight. You know, like there's a reason we just have popcorn days and that's just to bring delight there's no right. rhyme or reason and and that should be an important part of education is yeah. just joy yeah. yeah kids face lights up when you get an instrument out right or they sing a solo in a microphone for the first time it's one of the joys of my jobs for sure nice nice um and then so specifically i guess so yeah it's not necessarily learning the song you know like like we heard miss Frenecki's class you know uh, they were a little bit off and a little bit this. It's not about it's not about that at all because people can't see, but they were holding hands, uh, right. doing things to the music, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a component in the music room that is um, collaborative, not only between teacher and student, but student to student, and then kids inside connecting music to movement, music to expression, music to lyrics right it's just that's why music is so good for little brains mm -hmm. it's like everything at one time right all those synapses just firing non-stop sure and how does that so for say the fifth graders i mean on the cusp of middle school and a little more organized um class like yeah. uh you know chosen classes right. um w what do you teach them like where are they so at? yeah when as when i look at my I mean, it really starts when they're kindergartners. If you asked me, if I had to give one sentence what my job is, 
I would say it was to prepare kids for a middle school performing ensemble. And it really does take the six years of kindergarten to fifth grade to do that. Um, and so when I am ready to send my fifth graders off, I'm preparing them to read rhythms, read notes, and then also translate those skills to an instrument, whether it's their voice or a clarinet or a drum. Um, because it's one thing to be able to identify notes on a piece of paper. It's another thing to be fluent enough with those notes to be able to read them while you make finger movements, while you use breathing techniques, while you watch a conductor, mm -hmm. while you pay attention to what the other section of instruments is doing. So you're playing at the right time, right? So it's this, um, my job really is fluency in basic skills for rhythm and note reading. So when the sixth grade teacher puts an instrument in their hands, they have a good place to start. Sure, sure. You know, so my son learned percentages based on my cell phone and how much power was left in it, <laughs> right. right? But he learned fractions yes. from piano lessons. Yes, Yeah. 100%. Uh, quarter notes, half notes, like it just, when he hit fractions this year, it just, he's, he's a sixth grader. It just clicked for him. Right. Just, I'm sorry, he's a fifth grader. <laughs> he's a fifth grader. Um, yeah, it just clicked for him. Yep, that's a... I always, when I teach meter, like four, four time, three, four time to kids, I always start my class out by saying, you have to think of yourself in a math class right now. We have mm -hmm. to turn that part of our brain on um, because really that's, that's it. A lot of drawing of pie, slices, and pizza in right. my room. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess reading fluency, right? I mean, um, when we read out loud, I don't know if, if people thought this deep, but you look a little bit ahead, your, your eyes look a little bit ahead to what you're going to have to say next. Uh, gosh, that's music production right, right there. Right. Yeah, and if and it, so when we get kids in the classroom, we're working on not only the pitches but singing those words at the right time at the right tempo. We can't have fifteen kids all going at their own speed, you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that fluency component to reading is really really critical for us. Um, so concerts. I know that's. Uh, March is concert month, music yes. in our schools month, right? Um, tell me everything that goes into putting on the concert parents are going to see. It's a lot. <laughs> I usually think of concert preparation at the elementary school in three kind of chunks. And this is why I say to kids too. We spend um, most of January just learning to sing, learning lyrics, matching pitch. And then the next step for us is to add instruments in once we know the pieces. So in elementary school, it's a lot of non-pitched percussion, um, drums, shakes, shakers, claves. Um, and then the, the last step is that we add in the movement, we add in the actions. Um, and then there's non-musical there's non components to concert preparation too. Everybody, every song has a speaker part, their kids introduce. And then there's things like concert etiquette, like standing professionally on risers moving quietly backstage, um, kids knowing when they have a part to move without me having to signal them or tell them it's time to move. Um, and then there's all the behind the scenes stuff like notes and communication to parents and making a, a physical program to read, mm -hmm. um, organizing the PAC space, hauling instruments, dress rehearsals. Yeah, I remember from those days just how serious it felt getting ready for the yeah. rehearsal you right. know like it was kind of silly in the beginning was as we were practicing and then I remember getting dialed up and more and getting closer to the yeah. date and just um 
there's got to be, you know, that, that experience alone, I think, is, uh, you know, has an educational component yeah. to just be ready. That, yeah, that whole preparation and then culmination of actually doing the thing, whatever it is, right? I think for kids is such a prideful moment. They take so much pride in doing well um, and to know their families are out there watching and the lights go down, right? That's a whole experience in itself. Yeah, and being in a different space right. and, and being in the big kid school and yeah. in high school, um, right. wow. The, the red curtain is a big thing in my classroom. They love to talk about being behind the red curtain and then it opens and it's this like <gasps> big yeah. moment. And do you, do you find that, um, you know, maybe, a, a, do you have a specific story, maybe students who, um, you know, just you saw evolve because of their experience in, in doing yeah. this? You know, I think, I think kids want to do things that they're successful at. I think they want to do things that they take pride in. And so there's been a lot of students over my 20-year career where, um, you know, maybe we're just not quite engaged in class the way we should be and not quite singing or not quite doing the actions. But then when we get to the group rehearsal part and you're with all the other kids and it really is approaching some, there's, there's some kind of an emotional spark there that kids really kind of snap into place and they leave a rehearsal, you know, with their shoulders back a little more and just feeling really good about what they are producing. Mm -hmm. And then you have kids who are excited to sign up for music class in sixth grade, right? Then you have fifth graders who leave the concert and they're like, oh my gosh, Mrs. Tinson, I can't wait to play violin next year because that performance experience is exhilarating. Mm -hmm when it's done well, there's adrenaline that comes along with that, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, that's so fascinating. Um, so is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you wanna share? Um, I, I will just say that I have felt incredibly supported as a musician in South Milwaukee. This program has, I think we have amazing educators who have come through the program. I think we have educators who are really invested in building and growing programs. Um, I think I'm in a unique situation where my principal, Mr. Sapersky, is a music teacher. Is, yeah. yeah, was Blakewood's music teacher for years. So we started out as colleagues, and now I get to teach in a school where my principal is a music teacher. That's that's incredibly supportive. Yeah, that's pretty special. Yeah, that is great. Um, so when's your concert? Uh, Lakeview's concerts is March 22nd, Luther's is March 20th, and Blakewood smashed in the middle yeah. on the 21st. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Um, well, we're going to try and bring little snippets of the rehearsals to our social media stuff, and, and also some of our high school kids this, um, you know, uh, this month while we celebrate music. Um, but I, I want to thank you for being here and, and sharing how our elementary kids learn music. Yeah, thanks so much. Now, before we get to our next teacher, I want you to hear a little bit of Mandy's work um, with her students at Lakeview.
Next up, we have uh, Amy Swanson from the high school. This is her first year in South Milwaukee, and she's doing some really amazing stuff. Amy, welcome. Thank you so much. Um, tell me about what you do here. Yes. So um, I have several t titles and several roles here in South Milwaukee, but also in the state organization. I helped write the 2017 Wisconsin Music Education Association Music Standards. So I am currently the standards chair, helping to teach other teachers about um, writing standards, putting it in their curriculum, and assessing. And so my role at South Milwaukee High School is choral educator, and I also get to do general music, which are my two huge passions. So I see over 50 students in the choir department, and then I have... Uh, each semester I have different general music classes. So I taught music production to to students last semester and this semester. I have a class called History of American Pop Music, and I have another class um, that's listed as adaptive music. It's for diverse learners, um, but I like to label it as our joyful symphony class. So I get to teach drumming and, and boomwhacker playing and where all of the development of music in history of the United States came from. Um, and then I got to teach students for a semester about how to produce music and how to write music, how to record music, and all of that good stuff. So I, I guess, just to clarify, so at the middle school and high school, music is an elective, right? So yes, those, those it kids is a choice. Yeah. Yes. Um, but that I would highly recommend every parent and guardian assigns their student up for either a performing ensemble or general music uh, because the way that brain chemistry works and studies have continued to show and brain scans have continued to show that um, when you study an instrument and when you study music, your brain crosses hemispheres. And it's basically a whole body workout for the brain. It's the only subject that can work the entire brain at once just because of all of the crazy things that our brain has to do to read a music on the page, play it on an instrument, tune it up, analyze, listen to others playing, balance. There's just so much going on in the brain that it it's like doing a whole body workout for your brain every time you're in music class and helps in every subject, in everything that you're doing, because it solidifies um, the brain's ability to function. Mm. Well. So, so I can say I've, the students who come into your room, I almost see a relief on their face after it's a break from, from maybe some of the more classroom type sit down and learn stuff. But also I just feel like they are have just this ability to be so creative and where they are. Yes. So music, like, yes, it's a whole brain workout and it's academically amazing for your brain, but it also taps into the emotional context. One of the big standards in Wisconsin Music Education Association and the national standards is connecting. And it has this ability to make us connect not only subjects and see how everything is intertwined, but also connect personally on a very deep level. And it's a way to express what you're feeling if you don't have the words to express that. You can express it through your movement, through your voice, through whatever you're playing on your instrument, through it, through dance. Um, it's a beautiful way to have some academic things happening in your brain, but also be able to feed you spiritually and emotionally too. So let's talk about those standards. Um, what what are they? Uh, so there are 
There are four standards, creating, performing, responding, and connecting. And they go through a whole different process of how do you create. So first you have to imagine something. Like musicians and composers imagine things. They create for some reason, for some purpose, um, maybe to express something, maybe to address a need in their community. They want to make something to help fulfill that purpose or that need. They plan out what they're going to do. They rehearse it. They evaluate it. They refine it and change things all the way up until they decide to perform it. But that's not the end because you could do more than one performance or you could follow up with the community after a performance. Um, that's the, for the creating process and the creating standard. Performing is the same thing. So something that I like to teach other teachers and I do in my classroom is selecting students, letting students select. And they're not just randomly picking a piece of music that they like. They're really thinking, what is our concert going to be about? What message are we trying to send? What music could fulfill that? If there is not a piece of music that can fulfill that, can we write our own? Um, so they're choosing the selecting, which is a big cry from when a lot of us were in music classroom and our conductor stood up on the podium and they knew everything. These standards really get into teaching students what it is to be a musician and a composer and a, and a listener and kind of the behind the scenes that all the teachers at your college used to go and practice. We're telling the students that. We're teaching the students that. And and the ultimate goal is by the time they're in high school, if I'm gone or sick for a day, my students know enough to be able to lead themselves in a classroom for at least one day because they have all of those skills that are needed to really, really critically think about all these different aspects of what it is to be a musician, what it is to create. Yeah, you know, that's so interesting because we talk uh, – I've talked to um, – STEAM teachers or STEM teachers about project management skills, right? And that, and collaboration and conflict resolution. And here we have something that at first blush does not seem to connect necessarily to the engineering and science, but certainly does in, in social skills. Right. And like in the choir, I'm going to use choir as an example. There are certain times when certain voice parts like the sopranos need to be louder or, or they need to be completely balanced. So these students have to think about, is my volume matching everybody in my soprano section, but then also the rest of the 28 other people in this choir? We need to be balanced. And not only we need to be balanced in volume, but our vowels, our shape of our mouth has to be the exact same. Where we put that, even if our mouth is the exact same, maybe our tongue isn't, so a certain vowel is not going to come out the same. They have to be analyzing while they're singing, listening to all these things, and then working together on, hey, we're not con connecting with you. How can we do that? Let's work on this section. Oops, I think you came in early there. All of these things are happening at once. They have to learn how to be... Um, a teacher for themselves and a self-reflective practitioner, but then also a group-reflective practitioner and learn how to work in that setting because a choir and a band and an orchestra are all families. And if you don't, if you have some tension in that family, you're not going to have the great concert and the great experience that you want for the audience and for yourself. So they have to learn how to work together, have to learn how to communicate musically, have to learn how to put whatever happened outside of the classroom, outside the door, and come back together for this big purpose of making music, expressing things, 
lightening up a, uh, the day of people who are listening to you, spreading joy, spreading kindness, spreading awareness of something. You have a bigger purpose to serve inside that music ensemble than you do sometimes in other classrooms, but learning how to then work that. How do you get through that? How do you be the best that you can in that? And then how do you work with your group to be better as a group too? Sure, yeah, and and I music and how someone sings is you could be so vulnerable and open to critic and not open to criticism that it's almost kind of what we're teaching other uh, in other areas of school but on 10 because it is so personal yes and I always say like not to put band or orchestra down because that those are a lot of skills and a lot of placing your fingers and I was a flute player so I had a lot of buttons to push down to get to get things out but when I would make a mistake on my flute, I would like look at my instrument and blame my instrument. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas in singing, it's so personal because you are your instrument. And if your instrument's not there, that's an internal thing. You have to fix it. A lot of students um, I talk about when I work with them in voice lessons is it's like peeling layers of an onion. We might learn something. I had a student who said, are you a psychologist? Because you just completely described who I was when I was working with with her because she was singing a piece and singing this note a certain way. And I said, oh, you judge yourself all the time, don't you? Yeah. You have a hard time accepting good compliments, don't you? Yeah. You hold yourself. How do you know all that? So the way that she was putting out sound let me know what muscles and what her brain is doing. So it's like, I always wanted to be a school counselor and I feel like I am. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's so much psychology to the singing that you have to be assured in yourself to be able to sing certain things sometimes. Sure, and how important for teenagers who are still developing to kind of be able to analyze themselves, um, you know, and kind of realize what's going on and then trying to apply that and speak to other people in a team setting. Yes. Um, gosh, I imagine the same translates to basketball or to, to any sport where you're relying yes. on others and having to give criticism and take it and still try to accomplish the goal. And then also really, bas- this equates to basketball and also playing your violin and playing your trumpet. If you have tension in certain parts of your body, things will not happen well for you. You might have tension in your wrist, and then that piece is not going to come out nicely on the violin. Mm-hmm. Same thing with singing. Same thing with basketball. If you don't, if your muscle doesn't do one thing correctly, you're not going to hit that free throw. Um, so students have to be aware, like emotionally, of themselves and how they work with their community, but really aware of their bodies, mm-hmm. too, and every little muscle, every little thing they do. That's hard skill. That's a hard thing to learn. And some teachers don't teach it until we get to college. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that would have been so much easier. Um, in class, we talk about five times through perfectly and breaking down how to practice, how to approach something. Um, so if you forgot your lines in scene five, act two in the musical, go back to that one little section that you keep messing up. Say it Read it in your book, say it five times through, close your book, try to do it again five times through. If you make a mistake, you have to start over at zero and keep going. Same thing applies when playing a four notes at a piano. The students can take that to science class. I understand this whole unit, but this one little section. So what do I need to take 
five times through repeating to myself for it to make that brain connection. Mm. Um, so, learning those skills too. Yeah. So I didn't I actually didn't expect this uh, in this conversation, but what we, our listeners just heard from Mandy talking about learning to use your body in the elementary level and controlling your voice. And, and you, you heard clapping in Mandy's class because they, they do it to the music is just more refined even in, in the middle and high school levels. It goes from macro to super micro, like that little dropping your tongue in the back to get your ava a little better. Like it goes from big things to minute little things that we're working on to let go. It's the, those layers of onions that we have to keep peeling off. Once we fix something, we got to find the next layer until we get to the, the, the goal. Hmm. And so what you do with students throughout the whole year seems to culminate in projects, right? It's very much project-based and accomplishment-based. Yes. Would you say that? Yes. We get to have like the big ensembles and our our big performance like what's really interesting and wonderful and scary about being a music educator is our tests our exams our way of showing what students have learned is in front of a huge audience like no one has to take a math test in front of 400 people <laughs> so like that that's us out there so always refining that group but then we get lessons and have individual refinement too with the students um yeah and and so what um what projects have you run to completion or where are you going with the students that you have um so in general music classes those projects are a little bit different in ensemble classes, like the big project is always the concert. And students have to think, what is the context of this concert? Where are we performing it? So what type of music can we have in that space that will work well in that space? What message do we want to say? We just, I just saw my daughter at the Rossins concert, which was called Change Sings. And that was all about kindness. And that was all about respect. And that if we want to change the world for the better, we have to be the one who d- who do that and not get bogged down in the um, times when people are not kind and mean. We just have to keep putting out positive vibes. Mm-hmm. So that was their project. That was their specific thing that they wanted to get through. Um, every concert will have a different context, a different thing, a different something that they want to say different to the audience. This year the high school choir is really just uh, finding music and experiencing music around joy because we've been cooped up it's so hard to as a musician COVID was extremely hard emotionally psychologically because we are beings that thrive off of being with other beings with making more music I did a presentation um, I was the keynote speaker for the collegiate music education group and when I asked them about what were their most memorable parts of COVID and what their directors had done it was not the new technology things that they had done and and learning and having this, it was the moment when we were able to come together and just have a Google Meet and talk to each other again. Mm -hmm. So we are like these thriving beings. So our choir's big project is just learning more about how to sing together, learning more about how to be together, to be a family together, um, and just experiencing that joy and not getting bogged down in negative thought cycles, not getting bogged down in, in little tiffs that you might have with someone, learning how to forgive, let that go, and just focus on, on joy. In the general music classrooms, um, 
my Joyful Symphony class is really learning about chorus and verses Mm -hmm. and how to differentiate between the two and play and look at notation and play drums together. And and I have some conductors who will be conducting the other ones for their little symphony that they're going to put together. And they're going to do their own Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, accompany themselves. They won't have any music in the background. It's just going to be them playing drums and playing chords and playing melody. Um, So those are the big projects. We also get individual time, and our biggest event is coming this Saturday, which is Solo and Ensemble. Which would be tomorrow, if you're listening to this, the day the podcast is released. Um, we'll try to get the news out another way, too. But Yes. Yeah. We had about five or six entries last year as a school, and now we're over 50. So there's about over 50 events from barbershop ensembles to duets to music theater solos to regular solos. The Apollo Jazz Choir is singing for a judge. So we have judges uh, who have a rubric, and they sing for the judge. It's a scary experience. Um, It's an emotional experience, but then at the end of it, students always feel like, wow, I just did that. I sang very vulnerable or played my instrument in front of a room full of people who there is a judge for sure judging me. And then in the in the teenage mind, they think everyone else is judging them. But what I tell my teenagers is, what are you going to be doing sitting in a room? You're not going to be judging the person singing. You're going to be worried about what you're going to be doing because you're the next up. So you're... <laughs> Like you might be either there supporting your friend or you're freaking out that it's your turn next. So so trying to get them to calm and figure out that it's different performing as a small group or an individual than with, with your family, with your group of friends. So being able to stand on your own two feet and do that. And that's this Saturday. So Nice. Um, yeah. And fi- finally, I wanted to just one thing I've noticed this year that you uh, are doing or have tried to do is uh, aside from the concerts and in this competition, is uh, trying to get your your singers out into the community. Yes. yes. Tell me about that. Well, I believe so much in, mu- well, that music can change the world. And I say this at my concerts all the time. When you sing together as a group, your hearts start to beat at the exact same time. You, you physically become one person. And so I really believe that music is the way to change, to put change, to put community, to bring forth Um, this sense of belonging. So, and I really believe that if you are a musician that has a lot of skills, you need to serve then and bring that out to other people and meet other people. And that in that meeting with other people, you are more informed. You have done the standard of connecting. You understand what music's impact can be. So I've taken Apollo Jazz out to the community. We had some barbershop groups going and singing um, on on Valentine's Day, and the students loved it. There were there were members um, of our community in some um, elderly care facilities who didn't have any Valentines. Mm. So we gave them Valentines. There was one gentleman who was like, "You're amazing, way to go!" And those students felt so good. One, because they got this great compliment, but two, because when they started in that room, it was quiet, and it was not filled with joy, and it was kind of lonely, even though there were a ton of people there. It felt lonely, and once they started singing, the whole feeling changed. It was joy. It was a family. People were smiling, and those students realized, 
what they could do, how much impact they can have, and that's important, and that's empowering. If we can have more of those students come through here realizing they matter, they're important, and you can make good change, that, that's the goal, right? That's the goal to make a great learning community because if you feel empowered, you're going to learn well. If you feel empowered, you're going to try to empower other people. If you feel empowered, you're going to spread that community and kindness to other people and then go somewhere and do something. You're going to come to school because you want to be there for that empowerment more. So trying to get out into the community and do as much as we can. Um, we're going to try to revive our music parents organization. It's there, but we need more groups. Um, so parents listening, like we really need parents to come and volunteer and help out because um, we'd like to travel too. Travel opens up eyes teaches us about all of these different places and cultures and, and experiences that we can have. So we need some fundraisers for that. We're hoping that our fundraiser goals tie into service projects that the kids can do. Like if we make so much money, then we'll do this service for the community. Um, but that's a really important aspect. If you're a musician, yes, you're doing this for yourself, but you're also doing it for others. You're not a musician if you can't perform for people. So you need to make sure that that others performing, being a part of changing, is there. The positive change. Great. Well, that is a fantastic place to end. Uh, Amy, thank you for being here, and thank you for all you do in South Milwaukee. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. A big thank you to all our music teachers. I wish I could have introduced them all to you. Um, but And specifically, thank you to Mandy Tenson and Amy Swanson. This is a really busy month for them, and I appreciate the time they gave up to share their knowledge. On another very important topic, please mark your calendars for Wednesday, April 19th from 5 to 7 p.m. at the high school. There's going to be a Speak Up for Public School Advocacy event at the high school for anyone interested in supporting public education. Plans are still being finalized, but the event will include a letter writing station, artistic activities for children and families to show your support for public schools, and more. The reason we're having an advocacy event is the school board is grappling with a $1.6 million budget deficit, and that's due to two years of zero per pupil dollar increases, uh, coupled with the rising cost of inflation. Without more funding, the board will have to reduce costs in an already lean budget. Please get informed by watching a board meeting online or in person, listening to the budget episode of this podcast, read about it on the district webpage, and of course come out on April 19th. We need your help to tell our elected officials how important public education is to you and that you want them to support it so that every student receives a free, appropriate education. Thank you. We'll leave you today with the High School Symphonic Orchestra's rehearsal of the Barber of Seville conducted by David Shaw, Director of Music. Thank you.